Well, good morning. Such a beautiful morning out there. Frost covered. Great time to get up and say thank you, Jesus, and have a cup of coffee. At least that's what I did. I've looked forward to this morning and this time with you um, more than most for some reason. I've really been anticipating this morning's service and what the Lord is going to do uh, in you and in us. And I just see that uh, new revelation is coming to us this morning. And I'm going to continue in this series that we had uh, started several weeks ago on being redeemed from the curse of the law. And, you know, the truth is for most of you, if maybe even all of you, I'm not going to teach something that you haven't known before. And, and I'm going to bring it to you in as simple of a way as I know how, as though you've never heard it before. You know, one of the things that would help us is if we would read the Bible, when we read it, yeah, that would help us if we just read it to start with, and then after, as we're reading it, that we would read it as though we've never read it before. So often when we get into the Word and when we read in the Word, what we do is we know this, and so we don't read it like it was the first time we were discovering it. And if we would just read it as though, man, this is the first time I'm laying eyes on this, you would find that childlike faith inside you would well up in a much greater degree. But because we often use our circumstances and our experiences that we've experienced in the past, we allow that to... Um, yeah, we tried this, I don't know, maybe it worked one time, maybe it didn't nine times. And so, I, yeah, this is great for us and we keep reading. But I challenge you this morning, hear it as though you've never heard it before, like you did not know that this was available to you. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. I've preached two sermons on this subject here to you already. Actually, let's go to Galatians chapter 4. And we looked at being redeemed from the curse of the law, and we went back to read what the curse of the law was. We looked in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we read um, from verse 16 all the way to the end. And it's quite a lot of reading, if you remember, and we're here with us. If you were not here with us, then I urge you, go read that. Go, go see how terrible that curse is. We'll probably look at just a few verses from there later this morning. However, we know that, um, you know, the one sermon we had preached was how that prosperity, what the blessing of Abraham, how it comes to us, and that prosperity belongs to us. And uh, this morning I want to look at partic- in particular at healing and how healing belongs to us and how all sickness and all disease is part of the curse. And we don't have to have any of it and we don't have to put up with any of it. Um, if I can just say something, and then you keep this, what I say, as a frame of reference for everything else that we look at this morning. So, everything that we're going to talk about this morning was done at the cross. Okay, Being redeemed from the curse of the law, and the three things that are involved in being redeemed from the curse of the law, that all took place at the crucifixion of Jesus. So, your sins are removed back at the curse the crucifixion of Jesus, right? When He went to the cross. Now, in order for it to be uh, counted towards you, you have to accept it today. 
right? But the price was paid back then. Just like the price for your healing and the price for your prosperity was all paid back then. And it's all part of the cross. And so we're gonna, we'll talk about that as we go through it. But I want you to keep that in, in, hold it in your mind. Let's say it this way. A good test, anytime we're talking about healing or prosperity, because the enemy always likes to remind you of those devilish doctrines you've known in your past. Or maybe no one's ever taught them to you, but they still come and, and present themselves to you that, well, maybe not for me. Maybe the Lord's will for me is something different, whether it be in healing or in prosperity. But now here's the frame of reference. Would that ever be the truth involving sin? Would the Lord ever, would His will ever be that you be in sin? No. Or have to just continually struggle with sin? No. Okay, so in the same way, the other things he did at the cross are no different. It would never be the Lord's will that you put up with something that he paid for at the cross. That you have something that he paid for at the cross. So let's go to Galatians chapter 4. Welcome. And uh, we're going to look at verse 4. Let's just start there in verse 4 of chapter 4. It says, But when the completion of the time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman. This is a good time to talk about this because it's Christmas week, right? And we celebrate His birth and, and His coming into the earth. So he, he was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we, everyone say we. we. Now remember, this was written to Gentiles. The book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians was written to believers that were Gentiles, like you and I. So when he says we, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, someone say, I'm a son. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this is good news that I'm bringing to you this morning. Amen. That you're a son of God. That you right. belong to Him. Yes. That the, the rights and being an heir is, is given to you. And that you can say, Daddy! <laughs> and call out to Him. And not look at Him as a distant relative right. to my forefathers. The God of Abraham. He is the God of Abraham, but more importantly, He's the God of you. Right? He's my God. So now, let's back up and go to... So we start there. That's, that's the end of the story. But now let's go back to uh, chapter 3 here in Galatians. And uh, we're talking about being redeemed from the curse of the law for those of you who just came in. Redeemed from the curse of the law, verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So you understand that Abraham came before the law. All that Abraham had was the promises of God. That's all he had, which is everything, right? It was given to him. God came and had conversation with Abraham, gave him specific promises. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, just like it is credited to you and I when we believe God. And then we have the faith of Abraham, or faith like Abraham is what it tells us. So it goes on and says, verse 7, So understand that those who have faith 
are Abraham's sons. Why? Because you're behaving like him. You believe the promises. Verse 8, now the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the good news to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Can you have the faith of Abraham believing the promises? And there's where, there's where it's at, believing the promises. And this morning I'm reading to you promises. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. Faith faith to believe the promises. Verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. There were 613 laws given to the children of Israel out there in the wilderness. 613 laws that if they would just keep and live by these 613 laws, that they would be considered holy and have be living holy. 613 laws that if you keep these laws, then you qualify as holy. But if you break one of them, 612, you're guilty of, and keep 612, you're guilty of all 613 breaking them. Verse 11, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. By faith in what? In, in the promises of God. In the, work of, in, of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Let's keep reading. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He purchased us back. Exactly. Hallelujah. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. He bought us back. He paid the price. So that curse of those 613 laws wouldn't come to you and I no more. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did He do this? By becoming a curse for you and I. He became guilty of breaking all the laws, although He had never broken one of them. The Word is clear that He never committed sin, yet He became sin for us. And when He became sin, He was considered now guilty of breaking all those laws, and He had to pay the price for breaking those laws. And upon, because He lived righteously and never broke any of those laws, He took upon Himself our lawlessness and our breaking of the laws and all the things, the price, the, the, the thing that was required for justice to be paid, He paid for you and I. And as He took a just man who never did any wrong, He took that upon Himself. He paid that price for us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now listen closely. Here's the purpose. Not just to redeem you or pull you out of curse, but to give something to you. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. So the blessing of Abraham belongs to you, and we've read that blessing. If you haven't listened to the first two sermons in this series called Redeemed from the Curse of the Law, go online and listen to them. And you'll, you, we went through and we detailed what was the blessing of Abraham. 
And in that blessing it comes to you, but not only does the blessing and the promises that were Abraham's come to you, something more comes to you, it says here, and so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So not only did we receive the promise that God gave to Abraham, we also received something more. The very Spirit of Christ Himself came and dwells within us and lives within us, and we are now called sons of God. We have His DNA in us and on us, and we walk the earth like kings, like God had originally intended it to be. See, way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve back there in the garden, and God gives, creates the earth and puts them in the garden and says, work it and, and keep it, and says, have dominion over the whole earth. Ruler over the whole earth. Have dominion over the animals and everything. Right? It was given to them. Scripture tells, tells us that the earth is the Lord's, but He has given it to the sons of man. That happened back in the Garden of Eden, but we know that they didn't have it for, well, I don't know how long it was, because we don't know how much time passed between the day He gave it and the day they fell. It could have been a gazillion years. We don't know. But what we do know is that when they ate of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, when the Lord told them, the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And He wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. That's what we know is the law of sin and death. And that's when it came into the earth. And on that day was when Adam and Eve lost the dominion of this planet. Because they had submitted themselves to the enemy, to the devil. As he had tempted them and they yielded to him. Did you know that what you yield to, you're a slave to? What you yield to rules you. What you yield to is your master. So what are you yielding to? It's very important that we yield to the Lord and to Him only. Well, they yielded to the devil, and so in so doing, spiritual death came to them. And God had created mankind so He could have fellowship with them, so that He could come and be with them and and hang out with them and fellowship one with another. And now that fellowship is broken, and so God realizes He has a problem. But it wasn't a problem that caught Him by surprise. He had seen this from the foundation of the world, is what the Word tells us. And so we go uh, fast forward now through time until the day comes that Abraham comes into the earth. And the, and the father makes covenant with Abraham. He finds a man and says, um, leave your home country and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to increase you and I will bless you and anyone who blesses you I will bless and if they curse you I will curse them and I'm going to make you great. Now this meant financially, this meant uh, health, this meant with descendants, this meant great In every way. He became known throughout the whole land. His wealth was known throughout the whole land. He had political power. He had influential power. He had financial power. He had army power. Right? Only 300 of them, but we read the story of how he went out and defeated five kings. And brought back all the plunder that they had stolen and all the people they had stolen. And, and then he returns it to the, to the people it was taken from. And then the Lord comes and shows up and tells Abraham, because you did this, man, I'm going to be your great paycheck. He just added to the promise of Abraham. So now prosperity upon prosperity has been promised him. And as you continue to read the story of Abraham, and the Lord comes and makes that blood covenant with Abraham. And a blood covenant means one thing and one thing only. It means what belongs to me belongs to you. And what belongs to you belongs now to me too. We share all things in common with one another. And this was the covenant that he made with Abraham. Well, guess what? On that day, from that day forward, God had now a man in the earth that he had covenant with. However, 
As you read the story of Abraham's descendants and the things that happened with his descendants, they were not living holy lives. And so the father gives the law. When he brings them 400 years later out of Egypt, he gives them the law and says, live by this law. Live by this law and live holy and righteous lives. Be holy because I am holy. And we know that they did a very horrible job at keeping the law. And so the father sends Jesus. He sends Jesus under the law. We started with reading that verse. And because he was born of mankind, because he was born under the law, he now kept the law. He fulfilled the obligation of man's side of the covenant completely. Never never sinned once. I mean, all the days of his 33 years on this planet, he completely fulfilled the contractual obligation of man's side of the covenant. And because God had found someone in the earth who completely kept man's side of the covenant, now God could do things for the people in the earth that he hadn't been able to do before because he would have been violating the laws and rules he had set up. And finally, dominion comes back to man. We read in Romans how that we reign in life through Christ Jesus. Not reign in the future in heaven, but reign now. We reign in life. This is talking about authority. I believe last week Pastor Dale talked to you about authority and our authority that's been given to us in Christ. And so that's what has taken place as Jesus sets all this up. And now what you and I do is receive it by faith and say, yes, I receive. I receive. Father, I stand in the authority that you've given to me. Because you've redeemed me out of the curse. So, I said before we looked at the prosperity side of this. Now let's go and look at the healing side of this. Let's go to Deuteronomy and just refresh our memory, first of all, and how terrible the curse was in, when it came to sicknesses. And let's look at some of the curses that are named here. Yeah, ugh. Deuteronomy 28, you can also find the curse detailed in Leviticus 26, both blessing and curse. Well, here in Deuteronomy 28, it details the blessing and it details the curse. And so in this curse, if we'll begin reading in verse 15, it says, but if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all, someone say all, all His commands and statutes I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. And there's no place you can go that's not cursed. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be cursed. Your descendants will be cursed. Your soil's produce and the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send against you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you do until you are destroyed and quickly perish because of the wickedness of your actions in abandoning me. The Lord will make pestilence cling to you until He has exterminated you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will afflict you with wasting disease, just wasting away, with fever, with inflammation. Some translations say instead of fever, say flu. With inflammation, you know most diseases begin with inflammation. A burning, heat, drought, blight, and mildew, these will pursue you until you perish. Let's go down to verse 27. The Lord will inflict you with the boils of Egypt and tumors, a festering rash and scabies, in other words, itches, from which you cannot be cured. 
The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and mental confusion. Verse 35, the Lord will afflict you on your knees and thighs, knee problems, hip problems, thighs, painful and incurable boils from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Let's go to verse 58. If you are not careful to obey all the words of this law which are written in this scroll by fearing this glorious and awesome name, Yahweh your God, He will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, severe and lasting plagues, terrible and chronic sicknesses. He will afflict you again with all the diseases of Egypt which you dreaded and they will cling to you. The Lord will also inflict you with every sickness and plague not recorded in the book of this law until you are destroyed. Someone say every sickness. Every plague, every disease. So does that leave any sickness, disease, or plague out? No. Every one of them that are not even named in this book. So he just went, the, the things that he framed already cover pretty much everything. And outside of that, anything else that's not named, anything I missed, those two, that's what he's saying. All part of the curse. Let's look at verse... Uh, 65, you will find no peace among those nations and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes and a despondent spirit. Heart problems, fear problems, depression, darkness, all of these things part of the curse. None of these things are outside of the curse. I had someone um, recently in this message, they had a question, they said, well, what about uh, diseases that came since that time? Part of the curse. He said, yeah, but what about like Chernobyl, right? And uh, the disaster that happened. And people had, you know, all this, these things from nuclear radiation and cancers and things in their body. I said, well, let's read this verse again. It says everything not named in this book, so that should cover it. Part of the curse. He didn't like that. And so we kept talking a little bit further and realized that really where his question was at was he was asking the question was um, anytime someone has sickness or disease in their body, is it because they've sinned? That's where his question boiled down to. And so we looked and I said, well, let's go look at the example of the man that was born blind. And the disciples asked that question, who sinned? This guy or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. It didn't come because of that. But we are born in an, a curse-filled earth. All right? And whether it came because... Sometimes it can come because of sin in our life. But what I would urge you to do is if you find, if you find the neighbor's goat running around inside your house, you're probably not going to be so concerned how it got in until you throw him out. And now you ask the question, how did he get in? Who left the door open? But we're not going to get all hung up and saying, well, how did he get in? And, and how's, why is the goat in my house? And, and just let the goat keep running around all over the house making a mess because we can't figure out how he came in. Surely we don't have the right to run the goat out of our house until we figure out how he's came in. Oh, rubbish. Just throw the goat out and once you got him out, make sure everything's shut and sealed up. That right there was worth you coming this morning for somebody. 
All right, so we know what the curse is. We know that the curse is terrible, it's horrible, we want no part of it. Who wants more curse in their life? Raise your hand. Good, I'm at the right place. But if you want it, we can pray for it for you. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Now remember, what I told you in the beginning was this is the context we're going to keep. Everything that we say this morning is we're talking about what took place at the cross for you. We know that you were redeemed from your sins at the cross. And that when you go and you sin today, or you sinned in the past, and then you came back to the Father and said, oh man, I repent for doing that, please forgive me. The Father's not sitting in heaven going, hmm, hmm, should we, should we forgive Kevin or shouldn't we? No, the, Jesus is there. He says He's our advocate. And He's saying, Father, Kevin is repenting of this deal. My blood has covered that. And the Father goes, that's right. Righteousness is imputed and put upon Kevin. That's what the Word tells us. There's no decision being made in heaven about whether or not He should be forgiven. And in the same way, Anything else He provided for us at the cross, the same deal is happening. There's no decision in heaven should we heal Him when He comes with something that needs healed. It's already been done at the cross. Jesus, His advocate, says, Hey, my brother Kevin over here, he's coming. He needs healing in his life. Well, the bill's been paid, the Father says. It's been already provided for him. Now there's things on his side that Kevin has to do to walk in forgiveness, to walk in healing, to walk in wealth. There's requirements of him, and one of those requirements is called faith. Faith. And being a doer of the Word. Not a hearer only, deceiving our own selves, but doing the Word. One of the, one of the number one way. Listen, the number one way that you can be a doer of the Word is to speak the Word over your life. To declare the truth of the word in your life. You know what I do and I say all the time is I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm just speaking the word over my life. And I find that the more I say it since I've started this series, and I've just been saying that a lot over myself, the more I say it, the happier I get about it. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. When my eyes popped open this morning, my alarm went off. I rolled over and I looked at my phone and I said, wow, I am, this is what I said. I said, I am redeemed from the curse of the law. Thank you, Jesus. It becomes you. That's right. All right, let's look here in Isaiah 53. Now, what I want to uh, present to you today is that just like forgiveness of sins, Healing has been made available for you in the same act, in the same way. And we're going to look in Isaiah at what Isaiah the prophet said hundreds of years before Jesus came into the earth. And he prophesied that this would take place. And this is what he says in Isaiah 53 in verse 4. It says, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. Now, like the King James translation says griefs and sorrows, but that's a really bad translation for this particular verse. Um, a lot of the new translations get this verse right and they get other things wrong. All right, I've never seen a perfect translation. They all have uh, mistakes in the language, in translating the language, right? Um, but we know that the Word of God is, and we can actually look, and we're going to in a little bit, in the New Testament to see how Matthew interprets this verse. Maybe our translators just got it wrong, but let's see how Matthew, how he applied this particular verse. 
So it says, He Himself bore our sicknesses and He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded Him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has made delight on Him the iniquity for us all. So this is talking not about spiritual healing because we know that we have scripture that says the old man has died, not been healed. And that all new things have come. The new man on the inside. So it cannot be talking about spiritual healing. It has to be talking about physical healing, emotional healing, soulish healing, any place in your body that you need healing. But where you don't need healing is spiritually because that is completely It short-circuits that, all right? There's no healing. It's just new man, new man, new birth. He himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Would anyone have a problem if, if this verse would read this way? Yet he himself bore our sins and he carried our mistakes. That, that would, everyone would be like, yeah, you know, that, that lines up with our theology and doctrine. Yeah. He carried our sins. I'm so glad. Other word tells us that, correct? He took upon himself our sins. Well, okay, so why is it so difficult to say that it actually means what it says when he says sicknesses and pains? He carried our sicknesses and he carried our pain. If you have pain in your body, he paid the price just like he paid the price for your sin. If you have sickness or disease in your body, he paid the price just like he paid for it on the cross. Let's go to Matthew in Matthew chapter 8. And, and Matthew surely had a better understanding of the Hebrew language than what we do today. And so when Matthew would read the prophet Isaiah, surely Matthew probably had a better understanding of what the prophet Isaiah meant, because he was right there with Jesus, right, than what our English translators do today. This is how Matthew Uh, translated it. Well, let's just start in uh, verse 16. When evening came of chapter 8 in Matthew, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all. Someone say all. 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 He never turned to one person and said, the Lord, it is, it is the Father's will that you be sick. Now keep in mind that the Father, that Jesus said, pray that the will would, God's will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Remember that Jesus said, I don't say one single word that I don't hear the Father say. Keep in mind that Jesus said, I don't do anything that I have not seen the Father do. So apparently he never saw the Father not heal someone. Because, so he just healed them all. He did what he saw the Father do. So it says here that he healed all who were sick. Now listen, here's, here's what we're looking for. So that was what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Our weaknesses and carried our diseases. This is how Matthew translated this verse in Isaiah. And he was talking about physical healing. He healed all who were sick so that it would be fulfilled. So it's talking about literal physical healing taking place in people's bodies. Let's go over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and this is where Peter comes into the Gentile, the centurions, or the, uh, 
what was he, a general or something, Cornelius' house, and uh, he comes in and begins to preach to them in verse 34, Acts 10.34, then Peter began to speak, in truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, aren't you glad about that? But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. He sent the word to the word is the logos. He sent the message. He sent Jesus is the word. John tells us that Jesus is the word. The flesh became the word became flesh. Okay, he says he sent the word to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Note this: it's good news. It's good news for a reason. Jesus said, I have come. And then he lists all the things that he, was, he came to do. And in that was healing. Setting the captive free. Healing the brokenhearted. Healing, uh, he says, so that, you know, the poor get to rejoice because it's good news. You know, if Jesus would have shown up and said, uh, it's the Lord's will that some of you be sick because this brings glory to God. Not only does it bring glory to God, He's teaching you guys something. So I urge you to just go ahead and uh, embrace this sickness. And um, I mean, even ask the Lord for more. You know, because this is really God's will for you. Then I guess we'd probably read this, that, that uh, you know, the Word was sent to the sons of Israel proclaiming the bad news of peace through Jesus Christ. Because that would be bad news. That you have to stay sick. That you have to stay broke. That you have to stay a captive. That you have to stay cursed. But it's good news. And it can only be good news if it means the removal of the things that have been a curse to you. It says, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about, note, what did he do? What was the mark that he was known for? That everyone here knew what he was doing. He went about doing good and telling people they had to stay sick. Oh, okay. Doing good and telling people that their their poor is a blessing to Jesus Christ. Telling people that they just need to learn from all these distresses that have come upon them. No, no, it doesn't say that at all. It says that he went about doing good and curing, healing, curing all who were under the oppression of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. Apparently, when God's with you, you go around doing good things, curing all. Not telling some they have to stay sick. All right, let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I am laying before you, just as simple as I know how, that healing was done for us at the cross. Just like all the other things that were done at the cross for us. Healing is one of them. You wouldn't for a moment think, well, I'm just going to put up with this, this sin for the glory of God. I mean, how ludicrous, right? right. What, same way for sickness and disease and pain. Good when you find sin in your life, what do you do? Man, you, you get rid of it. Well, when you find disease in your life, what do you do? Well, man, you get rid of it. Remember that story of how Jesus... <laughs> is standing there in the synagogue and the lame man is in front of him 
And he asks that question, what's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? They didn't want to answer him. Because they knew it was easier to say your sins are forgiven you because nobody can see your sin. And they don't know if they disappeared or not. Do you still have a black heart or are you now white as snow? Nobody can see. So it's real easy to say, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus said, but so that you know that I have the power to forgive sin, not only does he say, your sins are forgiven you, rise and walk. And the man gets up and, well, everyone can see that. You know, which is easier, you know? Say, your sins are forgiven you or rise and walk. Well, the proof's in the pudding on the one. Immediately, everyone knows it. Either he rises and walks or he does not. Well, he rose and walked. And his sins were forgiven. In 1 Peter, in chapter 24, now let's ask this question before we read. Is it okay for us to change the Word of God? No. But Peter did. Peter changed it. Peter quotes a line from Isaiah but he changes it from present tense to past tense, right? And so in Isaiah, it says, by his wounds you are healed, because Isaiah is looking into the future hundreds of years to when Jesus will come into the earth. And he's saying, by his wounds we are healed, physically healed. But Peter is is now after the cross, and so he is looking back to the cross and has changed it to past tense, recognizing it has already taken place. When you come before the Father and you ask for forgiveness of your sins, Jesus is not going to climb back up on the cross for the sins you committed that day. Neither is He going to take upon Him or do something different that He's already not done for your healing. It's all been paid at the cross back at Calvary. So for you and I, that's 2,000 some years ago. Let's see how Peter worded it. He said, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Is He talking about cross time here? Yes? Yes? Okay, he's talking about at the cross. So that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And by his wounds, when did these wounds happen? At the cross, 2,000 years ago. By his wounds, you have been, past tense, healed. And if you have been healed, then that means that you are healed. And if you are healed, then that means you need to walk and act and talk like you're healed. By His stripes, we are healed. We were healed, is what Peter said. So he changed it. He changed it because he recognized it was already done. It was already finished. Let's go over to Psalms 103. Just in case that you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm just not certain that this is tied to the cross. That our physical healing is tied to the cross. That our right to be healed is tied to the cross. Here in Psalms 103, starting in the first verse, it says, My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, praise His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all His benefits. See, a lot of the people that say, well, we don't preach all that healing and wealth stuff, we just preach the gospel. No, you don't. You only preach a part of the gospel. Because in order to preach the whole gospel, you have to preach everything He provided for you back at Calvary, at the cross. And what He provided for you, well, let's go down the list. He forgives all your sins. Is that any sin left out? All of them. He heals all your disease. Any, any disease left out? Nope, that's all of them. When did the sin, forgiveness of sins happen? On the, cross. On the cross. When did the healing for disease happen? 
on the cross. He redeems your life from the pit. That's from hell. When did that happen for you? On the cross. That's right. From destruction. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. When did that happen? At the cross. He satisfies you with goodness and your youth is renewed like the eagle. When did that happen? At the cross. That's where the price was paid. That's where the blessing of Abraham has been given to us as Gentiles. And that is where you and I become sons of Abraham by believing the promise and seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ from our father, daddy, and King Jesus, our brother. Let's go to Mark 16. I'm going to say what I said before. We would never sit here and and when someone comes to... uh, they want to be, become saved. And they say, well, you know, I, I realize I, for the first time in my life that, that uh, I need a Savior and I want to become a Christian. And so you would lead him in the sinner's prayer and you would say, well, um, uh, Father, here, um, so-and-so is here and they want to be a Christian. And, and, you know, if it be thy will, Father, forgive them. If it be thy will, as though we don't know what his will is. In Ephesians, it says, don't be foolish but know what the will of the Lord is. Don't be a fool. Know what His will is. If you don't know what His will is, that means you're foolish. Now, it's not a shameful thing to be foolish. It's just as soon as you realize you're foolish, go find out what the will of God is in that situation. Alright? Find out what His will is. Well, we know that when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, that He sent His Son so that all... Right? He, he, John 3.16... He sent His Son into the world so that some of humanity could be saved? No, all. All that would believe on Him. So we know that it is His will that everyone be forgiven. It was for everyone. So when that person comes to get saved, we wouldn't go, if it be thy will. We would say, Father, so-and-so is here. He recognizes his sins and he, He makes you the Lord of His life. He declares you and submits His life to you and thanks you for the forgiveness of your sins. We do it with confidence knowing that it is so. Well, in the same way, when someone comes for healing, we don't go, Lord, heal this person if it be Thy will. What kind of rubbishness is that? If it be Thy will? No, we know it's His will based on... Or we just don't believe the Word. Since we know it's His will, now we have to pray in accordance with His will. I've had people bring to me, yeah, but what about Jesus? He prayed that way, if it be thy will. No, he didn't. Let's actually look at how he prayed. When he was in the garden, did Jesus know what the will of the Father was? Yep, that's why he's sweating big drops. Because he knows what's coming and he knows what he's about to go through. And it's, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do it. And he said, man, Father, if there be any other way for this thing to be, take place, let's do it that way. Because he doesn't want to go through with it. And then what happens? He even says, you know, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, nevertheless, never mind, forget that, scratch that, not my will. He's recognizing there's a difference in wills right now. Not my will, but thy will be done. Knowing full well exactly what the will of the Lord was. So he is now praying that God would have his way. Saying, yep, do it your way, Lord. Your will, not me. And then he comes back. He does this two or three times, right? And he comes back and he goes, man, you know, second thought. (laughs) 
If there's any way, ah, never mind. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And so what we should do the very same thing. If we ever come into a situation where we don't know the will of God, let's first find out what God's will is. See, faith, faith for the promises of God only begin where you understand what His will is in the situation. You can't have faith for something if you don't know if God wants it or not. You're just off in wondering land. But in order to have faith for something, you must know this is what God wants. Because faith comes from hearing the Word, and the Word comes by faith. So as the Word comes into you, and the knowledge of His will comes into you, now and only now can faith rise up in you for the thing that you're going to ask Him for. So if you have a question, is faith the is is, is healing the will of God, well, go back and educate yourself with the Word, just like we did this morning. Yep, clearly, it was done at the cross. Clearly, it's His will. By His wounds, I have been healed. It's already done. It's already settled. So now we can ask in confidence and in faith that come to Him and say, thank you for what you've provided for me, for healing. And I just receive your healing in my body, that I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. And we do it in confidence. There's only one prayer that you can pray in faith when you don't know what the will of God is. Only one prayer. And that is, what's your will? Show me. In James it says, if you lack wisdom, ask. And he'll give it to you liberally. Right? Don't be foolish, but know what the will of God is. It tells us in Ephesians. So if that's commanded to us, then it means God wants to get his will across to us. Romans 8 tells us the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So he wants to lead you more than you want to be led. And so as you come to him and you say, now you can have faith for that, that he wants to show you what his will is. So ask him, Father, what's your will in this situation? A pink refrigerator or a blue one? Because see, we can't find that in the Word, right? We can't find instruction which color refrigerator to buy. So if you really want to know what he would like, ask him. Some of you are going, woo, that went there fast. Mark chapter 16. See, 1 John tells us that, if, if, that anything that we ask, if we ask Him anything according to His will, He hears us, and if He hears us, then we have whatsoever we've asked Him for. So, what is implied, if you would ask Him something that's not His will, He just wouldn't hear it. So know what the will of the Lord is. Mark 16, verse 15. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news, that's what that is, to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes, and if they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. Now, if you go back and you look in Luke chapter 10, you'll see that snakes and scorpions that he refers to are demons, demon spirits. So you can go into a place that's infested with demon spirits. You can handle the very demonic and it cannot affect you. You can go even go into a place that would harm you, like drinking poison, and it's not going to have an effect on you in these demonic things. And then he says this line, they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Now notice in verse 16 it says who, that, that whoever believes, these signs will accompany those who believe. It does, not say Gentile, it does not say disciples. 
you disciples, as you believe. No, it goes, whoever believes, these signs is going to accompany them that believe. So that, that just goes down through the ages to you and I. And what are they going to do? They're going to lay hands on the sick and they will get well. You know, the authority to drive out demons was given to you at the cross. Authority over, over scorpions and snakes and every evil thing was given to you at the cross. Just like laying on of hands was given to you for healing at the cross. And then if you just go on and read verse 20, it says, They went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed His word by the accompanying signs. Now let's go to Acts chapter 14 and we're going to close there. Acts chapter 14. You know, I have seen more people in my ministry be healed in this message, this message of healing being provided for us at the cross than I have ever seen. I mean, miracles take place in people's lives than I have ever seen by laying on of hands and, and, and praying for people. I've seen those too. But I'm telling you that it's this truth as the revelation comes to people that they grab a hold of it and suddenly they find, wow, I was just healed of that. Because I believed it. I accepted it. I received it. Would your sins be forgiven you if you didn't believe it? No. So it's pretty imperative that we believe it. Simple childlike faith, like I never read it before. Wow, that's for me? I'm going I'm to receive that for me. Here we look in, uh, in Acts chapter 14. And you know, let me say something else. Let's say all of everything that I'm telling you this morning is not true and was not provided at the cross and we just have a twisted understanding of Scripture and that in some weird way, all of this, we're just all deceived and it's not so. Just sins was at the cross, nothing else. Okay. We still have plenty of scriptures that tells us that whatsoever we ask the Father in my name, He'll give to us. That I can still say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say and you'll have that thing which you said. Well, that's all faith. If you pray and ask the Father for something and believe that you have received it, past tense, you shall have whatsoever you have prayed for. We still have all these promises that would be good enough for healing. In James, where it says the elders will pray and anoint you with oil and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We still have all these promises for healing. So there's just simply no excuse for us to walk around in disease and sickness and put up with it is what I'm saying. And I'm not talking to you as someone who doesn't know what a fight and a battle is is like. I'm in the middle of a fight and a battle with my children. And you know what? Diabetes has come against them. And it's a curse. Man, I'm here to tell you it's a curse. I see it, how cursed it is. And I'm not putting up with it. And you know, I was thinking about this, and, and you know, I could go down one of two ways. I could say, well, since it doesn't look to other people like it's working for me, I'll just not preach the healing part of it, because what right do I have to preach it? Because it doesn't look like it's working for you. Or I could just give the devil two black eyes and preach it all the stronger and get everybody healed. Right? Because the Word is true. We are not going to define truth by our experiences in our life. Don't do that. Don't define, well, that person there can't walk in victory, so neither can I. No, we're going to walk in victory, and we're going to define what we believe simply by saying, here's what the Word says. And I believe the promise, and so it's accredited to you for righteousness. In Acts chapter 14, in verse 5, 
So they had been out preaching and they got some persecution for it. When, they, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns called Lystria and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. Apparently Paul liked horse races. He went down to Derby. All right, don't let my humor um, destroy what I say next. Verse 7, and there they kept preaching the good news. They were preaching the good news. And at the sound of the good news, let's look at what happens. In Lystra, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth. That's going to be a difficult one, right? Lame from birth, that's a tough one. I mean, that's different than a headache. And pray for a headache and those things go away, but lame from birth? I don't know. Lame from birth, who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Now, where did he get this faith to be healed? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. As he preached the good news, Paul clearly was not standing there saying, you know, this, this lameness is probably God teaching you something. And, and God is being glorified by your perseverance and how you just go ahead and have a good attitude even in spite of you not being able to walk. And as you watched all those kids go out and play soccer and you weren't able to play soccer, you know, the Lord really worked patience in you and the Lord has His hand on you, loves you a whole lot more than everyone else because look at what He's doing for you 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 know if Paul would have preached that that guy'd still be crippled but that's not what he was telling them apparently he was preaching the full gospel the full good news because this guy heard and said man can it be yeah it could be yeah it could be this is me this this is belongs to me (laughs) and the funny thing here is he's full of faith but he's still lame He's sitting there full of faith, lame. Paul recognizes there's another part to this that has to take place. You have to put your faith into action. And so Paul said in a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he jumped up and started walking around. And the place went berserk. And then they tried to worship him and all these things. And and you can read the story uh, later in your own time. The good news brings with it a story of redemption for your physical health. So if you're standing in a fight this morning, if you're believing God for the arthritis to leave your body or the inflammation to leave your body or, or some sickness or fever or, or, or maybe Lyme's disease or cancer or, or some just ridiculous disease, the devil's crazy, man. I mean, he brings things on you like you wouldn't even think of. Crazy things start to happen to your body. And if if you're experiencing that this morning, I urge you, don't put up with it. Take your stand. Don't look at the natural to see whether it's working or not. You fasten your eyes on the Word and on the truth and on the promise and you say, it's good enough for me. It belongs to me. I receive it. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. And the blessing of Abraham comes to me and the Spirit of Christ resides within me and I have the mind of Christ. Therefore, my understanding is renewed every day to what I am redeemed from and what I've been given to in life and divine health. Fill my body in every way and every cell in my body submits to the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and I walk in divine health all the days 
days of my life. And there's no sickness, no disease can come and, and, and land on me and sit on me because I am redeemed. Time doesn't permit me to go on and give you testimonies of this working in my life. I know we could take the rest of the day and each one of us in turn could give testimony after testimony of this very thing working in our life. And I urge you, friends, family, that as you go from here, tell the good news. Tell people what Jesus did for them. Don't look at yourself as the miracle worker. Look at Jesus as the one who already paid the price. And at the hearing of the good news, they can be filled with faith. And when you recognize that prompting on the inside, they're full of faith, then you too can shout, Stand up! And they'll just jump up and walk, and all of Lancaster will just go into an uproar. Amen? All right, I'm going to turn the time over to uh, Karen, and you guys are going to have an offering yet, an announcement, and then uh, close in a time of worship. And I have a feeling that the time of worship is going to be a little more special than normal. Well, it's only fitting, isn't it, that Pastor Sid's last sermon of 2019 was your best. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Your best, wasn't it? Wow, that was so powerful. I mean, if we just listened to that sermon over and over again, it would take care of everything. Pastor said, this, is, this family that you're looking at out here loves you and Jen Amen. and your family so very much. And we would like to give you a little token of our appreciation and our love for your faithfulness, not only to come, but your faithfulness to the Lord in the Word of God, the preaching of the whole counsel of God that we get every time you open your mouth, and the anointing of God that you cherish, that you um, enhance in your life, spills over onto us Amen. as the head shepherd of this flock. So we want to bless you with that as a small token of our love and our appreciation to you this Christmas season. And Sid is leaving right now uh, to fly to meet his wife and family for uh, the, the Christmas holiday with, with extended family. So we were going to just extend our hands to him and his family and say and declare the word of the Lord that by the stripes of, by the stripes of Jesus, yes, you're yes, all healed. Yes. But we declare that no weapon formed against you can prosper. No weapon. That the angels of God encamp around and about you, and there will be no injury and no harm in this whole time that you are with your family. It's an anointed time. You, you carry great revelation as you go for your extended family. And we bless you and we send you with the word of the Lord and our love. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, you guys make a pastor's job a great reward. You know, Hebrews talks about um, to, be, to be watchful how you interact with your shepherd because they watch out for your soul, but yeah. it can, it can, you can really make it difficult. Yet, you guys have made my job very easy as a pastor, so thank you. You have something to say? What'd she say? <laughs> she says, be ready. God's going to do miracles in my family. Amen. 
What did you say in the prayer room before, before the service? Um, there is great, there's great revelation on you and you're carrying that revelation. That revelation brings growth, miracles, signs and wonders, and you're carrying that with you to your extended family. This is going to be a special time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you. And, uh, I need to run or I'm going to miss my, yep. He said, keep it short. So, <laughs> all right. So as you have all gathered, this is a flip flop of a service. Have you gathered that? And Pastor Sid did say this. Um, I think he told us that he was going to do this anyway. Um, I would like to, wow, that was such a powerful word. Uh, I feel like I'm going to be listening to that over and over again and chewing on it and just getting it in so much into you that it becomes you. It is who you are. Amen? Um, I'd like to encourage you in your tithe this morning. And I'm going to read, <coughs> excuse me, out of Le- Leviticus. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions today for you to think. Is the God of the Old Testament the God of the New Testament? Is it the same Father that sits on the throne that spoke the Old Testament and the New Testament? Okay, that's really good to understand that. Because... There are, there are some people, not us, but I'm sure some of you will be listening to this tape, that believes that the tithe is done away with, that there's no such thing as a tithe anymore because it was under the law. Well, if you, if you read the will of the Lord, which we talked about, um, and understand that the, the tithe was given before the law, wasn't given with the law or under the law, it was given before. So it was God's idea before the law was given. In Leviticus, excuse me, uh, chapter 27, if you have your Bibles, you can look at verse 30. And all the tithe, say all, all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. In verse 32, it says, The tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Let that sink in. Because it's very important to each and every one of us that you think about your tithe. And it's not just something that you whisk out of your purse on a Sunday morning half half-heartedly. It's holy unto the Lord. It's a, it's a matter of worship to the Father. If he says it's holy unto him, it's holy unto him. Do you know when God speaks, he's right? All the time. Now, you might have come into agreement with him, so you're right too. But sometimes we're just not right. And we have to be okay with that, knowing that. If God says something in his word, and if he is a God of the Old and the New Testament, and if he has not changed, which we know the word says he has not changed, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what he says in the Old and the New Testament is right. 
If you settle that in your heart, that will take a care of a lot of issues. Do you know that? So if God the Father said in the Leviticus 27, 30, that the tithe, the tenth, was holy unto him, that should forever settle it. Now, if you're not quite there yet, I have another question to ask you. If you don't believe in the tithe, and you think it's done away with, what have you replaced it with? Good question. See, I love questions. I love to ask God questions, and I like to ask questions to myself to make, my own, to make me think. If you don't believe in the tithe, what have you replaced it with? And I'll take a step further boldly and say, as a New Testament believer, we're under a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. So maybe the tithe was the basement foundation, and now we just give a lot more. Well, if you really want to think about it, as a New Testament believer, we have an exchange life. We gave everything to Jesus, and he gave us everything of him. So really, everything belongs to Jesus. Everything. Spirit, soul, and body, your kids, your dogs, your cats, your, all your money. All your money belongs to the Lord. If you truly are a New Testament believer and live in the exchange life. So we're not even talking about the tithe. However, because we live in a fallen world and we don't have uh, uh, all revelation, we're growing in revelation, aren't we? We're in the process of revelation of the Lord. Because of that, God the Father knew we needed something called a tithe to hook our faith in so that as he continues to bless us with abundance, we're not going to forget him. We're not going to forget him because we have at least the tithe to hook our faith into to make sure that when God gives us this finances, we are going to give back to God something. We're going to remember him with something. So he gave us the tithe to remember him in, to hook our faith in. He said, don't forget that it is I that give you wealth. And he gave us the tithe to remind us of that. Amen. That's a good God. Now, as New Testament believers, because he owns it all anyway, the tithe should never be an issue. It's how much more am I going to give over the tithe? If you really trust the Lord with all your heart and really believe, given it shall be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom? If you really believe, so and you shall reap? If you really believe what God said, then tithes should never be an issue in your life. It should be, how much more can I give? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I'll give you one more. Matthew 23, 23. Because if you're thinking, well, that's what God the Father said in the Old Testament. I'm in the New Testament. I'm with Jesus. Well, good. 
That's awesome. Because guess what? Just like Pastor said, said this morning, Jesus never did what he did not see the Father do. He never said what he didn't hear the Father say. So here we see in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus addresses the Pharisees who were all religious, all in pride, all about them. Well, we give tithes, our mint, our, our fruit, and all this and that. And he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done. He's saying, yeah, you're, you should be doing the tithe. For sure. And not to leave out the other undone. Jesus God himself was standing in front of them and said, I'm here to give you a better covenant. Great that you're tithing your mint and your everything else under the law. But you're not doing what I have brought. Your Messiah standing in front of you has brought you today the message of faith, grace, righteousness, mercy. You're not doing that. Great that you're doing that. And I'm glad you're doing the tithe. You should be doing the tithe. But how about doing this too? That's what Jesus said. Guess what? Jesus is right. I'd say it, be, it would behoove us to just agree with the Father and Jesus. How about you? All right, lift up your tithe, which is your act of honoring. You know, worship means worth-ship. Father God and Jesus are worth our worship as we honor him in the finances that he's given us, we are honoring him in his word by giving back to him at least a tenth. So, Father, I thank you for the obedience, the willingness and obedience of your children here today to step in to not only believe what you said, but to act on it. Because when we act on our faith and put faith in honoring you, Father, Malachi 3 kicks in because that is your word and you have spoken it over your sons and daughters that the, the windows of heaven will open up above us and pour on a blessing that we cannot even contain. So, Father, I thank you. For every willing and obedient child of God in this place, honoring you this day with the tithe and offerings. Uh, ushers, if you're there, and John, if you want to come up in your team. Um, you know, the Bible says to bring all your tithes into the house. It costs money. The gospel's free, but to give it out, it costs money. You know that? Costs money to have these lights on for those seats you're sitting in. And God said, bring it into the house so that there's meat. There's something that we can work with so that we have the word of God to deliver to you. It just is really common sense in that regard. 
Amen? Worship. Worship means worth-ship. Moving in worth to a worthy Father who is worthy of our worship. In John chapter 4, it says that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit. You are a spirit being, aren't you? Yes? You are a spirit being, and that's why you can worship God, by the way. Because he created you in the, as a spirit. Truth is according to the word of God. So this is my question leading up to worship. What is worship to you? What is worship to the Father? What does the word of God say about worship? How important is worship to the Father? How important is worship to you? Good questions, aren't they? <laughs> is worship worth you showing up in time to worship? Is worship worth you showing up in time to worship already worshiping? Not waiting to be on cue to worship. Is it a lifestyle where you're blessed to come to a place to worship the Lord. Father, I thank you as we step in to worship you that this is a time where we think about these and what you say about worship in the word of God. Father, our hearts are just to line up with you, to agree with you, to become more like you. So help us. And the Holy Spirit is here to help us worship this morning. And maybe make some corrections in our worship and how we view it. And how important it is to you, Father, for our sake. So, Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts this morning. We give you all the praise and glory because you are worthy of it. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. Did we take up the tithe? No. Let's do that. Go ahead. You can start in your first song. Let's pass the envelopes. Well, I wanted to say something a little bit, too. Okay. I just want to encourage you, like, at Christmas time, you know, we sing these songs that recount his birth. That is an act of worship, saying, hey, this happened, and we're glad it did. Can you imagine all the angels filling the sky and proclaiming glory to God in the highest. So I know it's different than our worship at other times of the year, but it still is worship. It's recounting what had happened and rejoicing in the fact that it did. Amen? Amen. So, Merry Christmas. Give you a, a quick a brief update here on the trip that I just returned from. And had just a wonderful time. I took... Uh, Eric with me, and uh, he just had an amazing trip. You know, he just recently was spirit-filled. Um, between the last trip he went with me in August and this trip, he had gone home with uh, Gene English for dinner one day, and um, he left there 
spirit-filled, speaking in tongues. And so now on this trip, there's so many things that are, uh, are new to him, and he's just grabbing a hold of them and seeing truth um, for the first time that he didn't realize was there before, and it's been so fun. It's been very refreshing to uh, be just pouring into him, and um, he kept saying that he just thinks this is a Paul Timothy moment for him. And uh, it's interesting that he recognizes some things that uh, for someone so new to a lot of this, that, that he's seeing it, you know. So, hallelujah, he had just an amazing trip. And we'd have uh, two services going on at the same time. I would speak in one and Larry in the other. And then we would trade groups of people and do it again and teach the same message. And so we did, um, uh, let's see, maybe five, five sessions is what we did total. Well, no, there was actually six, uh, six sessions total. And um, it was interesting. So there was three languages happening at the same time. And so when you say one sentence, it suddenly takes three times longer to say that sentence. It happens to be a, uh, a more descriptive language than English. And so when uh, you read a passage of Scripture, it takes them twice as long to read it. It's interesting as it does in the English. So a 20-minute sermon is a one-hour sermon suddenly. So you can't say as much as you'd like to. And what you do say has to be um, extremely uh, concise and straight to the point so that by the time it goes through all the translators, it's still on target at the other end. And, um, you know, in spite of that, they were very hungry. I mean, they soaked up everything and then some. And uh, it was such a joy to, to minister. They uh, absolutely, I mean, they just were sitting on the edge of their seat the whole time. And believers, they were uh, blessed, and there wasn't as many of them. There was maybe, uh, it was maybe 60, 70 of them, uh, probably, at least. And then um, believers, there might have been uh, 20 of them, 15, 20 of them. And um, they were really blessed. And I taught them on simply this, this series, Redeemed from the Curse of the Law, and what's been given to them and what they're redeemed from. And uh, one service in particular was interesting. We had um, some pushback because not everyone understands that uh, or, or is ready to let go that all disease and sickness is part of the curse. And in fact, one gentleman, he come up and he wanted to know, but what about diabetes? My father had diabetes. Is that part of the curse? And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, it says every disease not named is part of the curse. And he said, well, I'm supposed to get it because it's genetic. And I said, well, if you say so, but you don't have to. He said, well, I already have it. I said, well, okay, now's the time where we stand on the Word and, and we take a hold of what belongs to us. And, and he didn't like it. He walked away sorrowful. And so I turned to everyone else and I said, well, I guess he can keep it if he wants to. Now, the great thing was is he was back at the next service. And uh, he was still listening and he was on the front row. So... I'm believing God that somewhere in there it was, it was reaching uh, a level in him that he hadn't seen before. So turn with me. Oh, I'll give you a... Uh, so then from there we went to and spent time with them. They're doing very well. They have uh, had quite a team rise up around them and are helping them in that. In fact, they received a new three-month team the, one of the days we were there. Uh, they arrived from Kona, Hawaii. They're part of YWAM. And so the team came in and they received them. There was uh, one, two, three, four, five of them, I think, on that team. 
plus the people that they already had there. And so they're um, just in full swing, and, and the Lord's doing amazing things there with them and the work that they're doing. It's just been absolutely a joy to see what's happening there. You know, I don't believe that the Lord is the one that was behind all these people getting uh, kicked out of, but in spite of it, the gospel's still going forth and He's still moving and still confirms His Word. 